Yeah, so uh, I was just thinking when I look, saw this crowd uh, about 20 years back when we were in Airport Road Fellowship, uh, we used to be in a room with only this much, you know, beyond the second row there's nothing, it's just this much. And, uh, you know, when you go to share something, you're looking at yourself. So it's like, <laughs> it's very intimidating to look at yourself and speak. So, um, And also, you could see everyone, you know, because you're up and everyone's sitting down. Here, you know, it's uh, some heads will go between like that and they'll disappear into the sunset and you can't see them. Then uh, sisters have uh, upgraded arsenal, which is this. <laughs> so I don't know if they're listening or here or... But anyway... If your neighbor is taking a nap, give them a small nudge. Yeah. All right. So we are here. Thank you, Joji, for praying for me and for reading. Um, we will go through the entire chapter, but uh, we will go verse by verse. Before that, we are in the travel narrative and uh, we will see how Jesus' journey has been from Galilee to Jerusalem and how it is filled with parables and teaching about the kingdom of God. Right. And uh, how one enters this kingdom, you know, how even those who are poor, who are the worst of sinners can enter his kingdom, not just the righteous Jews. And on this journey, we see that Jesus is going to Jerusalem for one single purpose, right? To be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And he was to die on the cross and rise again on the third day and secure our redemption, our salvation. In Luke 9, few weeks back, we saw in Luke 9 how the cost of discipleship was really heavy, right? If you became a disciple, you have to be focused. You cannot turn back, right? Once you put your hand to the plow, you shall not turn back. Last week, we went through Luke 13 about through repentance and how repentance is very important. Else, you will perish. A very dire situation. You have to repent or it is certain death. And this this week, before we get into this passage, passage if you look just a few verses above in, in Luke 14 and verse 26, it says, uh, you know, the standard is increasing. You know, the standard is becoming really heavy. Um, there are a lot of, lot of rules and regulations, as you could call it, being put. In verse 26 in, verse, in Luke chapter 14, if you look in your Bibles, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You know, a few years back, this was our camp team and we studied in depth on this, on how we have to prioritize God above everything else, including ourselves. And this is a very high standard of requirements which Jesus is setting. And you know, as he sets this, it is the outcasts and the sinners who are listening to it. And when the outcasts and the sinners of Jewish society are listening to it, they're not running away. They're actually drawing closer to him. It makes no sense. These standards are really high. But these outcasts want to listen more. They want to come more close to him. And if you look at that last verse in Luke 14, what does it say? He who has ears, let him hear. And immediately, what is the next verse? And here we see, as we open up the account in Luke 15, it says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners 
drew near to him. You see, it was not the ones who knew the law who drew near to him. But it was the ones whose heart was being convicted of their sin who was drawing close to Christ. They knew they needed a savior. They knew they needed someone to rescue them from their situation. And tax collectors were the worst of sinners because they were Jews who were then working for Rome, taking money from the Jews and giving it to Rome. Right? But, and this is not just them. It was one category and they were also associated with much more other sins and there were other sinners also there. And what does it say? The tax collectors and sinners drew near to him. For what? To hear him. It says, right? If you have ear, come and hear. And they wanted to come and hear more. They wanted to get convicted. But this did not go well with the Pharisees and scribes. And we know that they always wanted to corner Christ. They always wanted to see where is he going to make a misstep? Where is he going to do something wrong? And when they see him mingling with these sinners, their immediate reaction is they complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You know, very derogatory way. This man, he eats with sinners and eats with them. An accusation, accusatory tone, right? They mocked them. And you know, they used to call him a blasphemer. Demonic, even satanic when he used to do miracles, right? And they're waiting to pounce on him. You know, Jesus did not respect their man-made rules and regulations. Even the Sabbath, he healed on the Sabbath and they did not like that, right? And the Pharisees and scribes did not want to see the compassion of Christ. He did not, they did not want to see his care and compassion for the lost, rather accused. But you know what? That same sentence this man receives sinners and eats with them. That was the crown which Jesus wore. He wanted to be with sinners. He wanted to draw them close to him. He wanted to share the gospel with him, with them. And he wanted to tell them that you too can be saved. And he could only do that by being with them. He could not do it far away. He could not do it without being with them. And this is our Lord Jesus. And you know, to prove to these Pharisees, he immediately says, he spoke verse 3, he spoke this parable to them. You know, there's a lot of debate. If it's this one parable, is it three parables? Is it one parable with three stories? But one thing is for sure, the message is almost the same. Yeah? So we'll go through these uh, three parables very quickly and try and understand what our Lord Jesus is trying to teach both the Pharisees and scribes and us as well. You know, before we go to verse 4, it was a time in the Jewish land where there were a lot of shepherds, right? And everyone knew how shepherds uh, were. And shepherds you used to take care of a, a big group of sheep, I don't know, 20, 100, whatever, right? And each sheep was very important to them. And it was not a joke. It was very important to them. Each shepherd had to come back with the same amount of sheep they went out with and they were accountable to the to the owner or in most cases, maybe their father who was owning all of that. And you know, it was, it was common in those days if one went missing that the shepherd would take effort to go and find the sheep and come back. Now someone who is hired may not do that but the shepherd himself will definitely do that. And he's not being careless, right? He leaves the rest mostly with another shepherd, mostly with another shepherd on a safe place and then goes looking for the other sheep. 
and all of these folks who are listening to the sto- story knew it and you know our common question in our mind would be why would he leave the 99 behind right why would he leave the 99 behind and you know our thought may go doesn't the needs of the many outweigh the needs of a few or in this case the one but shepherds knew what they were doing they knew their flock very well young david didn't he risk his life multiple times for what a lamb a single lamb he would fight predators off for a lamb so folks in the village knew how all this worked out and those the audience also knew it and you know the shepherd would definitely go find the sheep and when he came back he would bring that sheep back and there would be celebration and that is what happens in verse 5 and 6 in verse 5 and 6 it says and when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing and when he comes home he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them rejoice with me for i have found my sheep which was lost my sheep which was lost and you know this was their social media event you know they all liked it they all as he came there were people waiting at the edge of the village did he get the sheep is it alive and they all you know celebrated together what does the word of god say about our lord jesus christ john 10 verse 11 says jesus says i am the good shepherd amazing right the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep gives his life for his sheep verse 14 says i know my sheep and i'm known by my own verse 15 says as my father knows me even so i know my father and i lay down my life for my sheep again he says it and in verse 16 not just his own sheep in verse 16 says and other sheep i have which are not of this fold them also i must bring and they hear my voice and they and there will be one flock and one shepherd our lord jesus christ is shown here as the shepherd the one who will go after that lost sheep and restore that lost sheep you know in verse 7 he's trying to make the point there the story does strike a chord with the audience and verse 7 says likewise there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents i'll just pause there before we go to the next part of the verse the one sinner who repents what is repentance we saw this last week also and let's just refresh our memory on what is true repentance true repentance is a broken and contrite heart a remorseful heart where there is genuine sorrow no not like yeah, i'm sorry no someone i know when 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 we talk this and he has to say sorry sir i'm sorry why is everyone looking that said <laughs> it's not that kind of sorry right it's not you know just flippant right it is do we have genuine remorseness in our heart and sorrow godly sorrow that what we are doing is wrong that is true repentance acknowledging and confessing our lowly sinful state acknowledging the change in opinion or mindset or behavior we have to change the root cause of what drives that sin can we change the root cause of what drives that sin and truly turn to god turn away from sin and turn to god be holy as i am holy all this is part of repentance not just a you know i'm sorry 
and you know here jesus wants to drive home the point to the pharisees and the second part it says i'll read the whole verse there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance you know the the pharisees all they wanted to do was put down jesus they did not care about those who were repenting they did not care for those who were lost but jesus died for the worst of sinners he laid down his life willingly for sinners such as us and he did not die for these self righteous people you know who did not feel they need repentance in matthew 9:13 it says for i have come not to call the righteous but sinners not to call the righteous but sinners in first timothy 1:15 you know paul says jesus christ came into the world to save sinners of whom i am the worst of whom i am the worst you know so what we can learn from this is you know jesus attitude right and his attitude was to correct the wrong attitude of these legalistic pharisees he did not care for self righteousness he did not care for those who were non repentant or those who thought they were just to those who thought they did not need him but he came to save the lost he came to save those who had genuine repentance who knew that repentance was of utmost import- importance you know every soul is important to our lord every soul is important and he goes seeking them and it is up to them to accept or to reject christ and as we move on to the next story we we'll look at verse 8 you know there is there is no break you know there's where he gives them gives the pharisees a chance to say something or you know to to but you know there's nothing like that immediately he goes to the next 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 story and he says or oh, what woman having 10 silver coins you know in those days jewish women some of them wore a headband with few coins there they it could be a sign of being betrothed or uh being married and that how precious she, she was to the husband right and this woman has lost one of those coins and in those days the houses were very dark there were multiple windows and uh, philips uh, led lights so she had to light a candle and she would have had to search for it right and that's what she does you know it says if she loses one coin does she not light a lamp sweep the house search carefully until she finds it search carefully until she finds it right and when when a lord is saying this and when he is talking about lighting a candle you know i was trying to trying to understand what was what 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 connects here and what what it means right and um, in in uh, in john 16 before we go to john 16 you know lighting a candle and illuminating in our lives whose work is that whose work is it to illuminate the word of god to us the holy spirit holy spirit okay i was not wrong okay for a moment i thought i was off track here okay the holy spirit is the one who enlightens the word to us right and reminds us and when we read the word of god and if we are confused it is the holy spirit which will give us clarity right and as as this analogy is there of lighting a candle and looking in the dark and uh, sweeping and searching this is what came to my mind and in john 16 it says 
you know when when jesus is going away he says it is good i am going away because i will send you a helper right and in verse uh, 16 uh, john 16 verse 8 he says and then he the holy spirit has come he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment and this word convict i tried to look up little more and uh, it uh, in greek it's elenexi elenexi can you say it with me elenexi okay i am saying it wrong and you are also saying it wrong but that's the power of the mic thank you yeah i don't know how it's said but elenexi means to enlighten elenexi means to enlighten to by conviction to bring to light and it's the work of the holy spirit to convict us of our sins to throw light on it and here the holy spirit is represented by the woman who is shedding light and trying to find the lost souls right and in in, in luke 19:10 jesus says for the son of man came to seek and save the lost to came to seek and save the lost you know and this also was he had to say this because he was in zacchaeus's house and they, again they were accusing him about sitting with sinners you know the lost being found that is the theme in this first two stories the lost being found you know in verse 6 uh, if you look at verse 6 it talks about the shepherd and he rejoices for i have found my sheep which was lost in verse 9 when we come to verse 9 she finds the coin and what does she do she calls her friends and neighbors together saying rejoice with me i have found the piece which i have lost now think about it a little more the sheep was a little more a large scale it's outside you're with other uh shepherds and you come back now if you lose your phone in the house you ask you hey, call my phone call my phone you know it rings where is it oh it's in my pocket sorry are you going to take out your phone and call the neighborhood and say let's have a party i found my phone but you know jesus is trying to emphasize here that this lady even though she lost a phone in the house the, sorry her coin in the house and she finds it he's he's giving an absurd almost exaggerated response to from her and that's because he wants to drive home a point right so jesus uses something called a hyperbole to emphasize a point that there is much joy even for this woman when she finds this coin and we know what the next verse is and we'll, when we look at verse 10 what does it say likewise i say to you there is joy in the presence of angels of god over one sinner who repents one sinner who repents you know in the last 10 verses the verse one has come about five times five times the verse the the word one has come and god is trying to bring us to this point to say you know one person matters every one person matters every one soul matters you know brothers and sisters jesus is calling us you know you may be seated here wondering i'm just coming here just just to you know somebody call me so i'm just coming right but jesus is calling each one of us to repentance each one of us you know some of us may think that why would he be bothered about me there's so many people in this church he doesn't care about me but you are special to our lord jesus christ each one of us is special and he is interested in each one of our lives we are all worthy we are all equally worthy you know we are all sinners each one present here has a story all of us are sinners here all of us have problems 
And you know, yet this righteous God wants to reach out to us. He wants to reach out to us because he knows that he has taken the place of us on that cross. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ came into this world without any blame. And he took each one of our punishment upon that cross. And because he did that, and because we, if we believe in him, if we believe that he died on the cross for our sins, we too will be saved. And all we need to do is repent of our sins. We need to understand that it is he who has saved us by dying on the cross for each one of us. The word of God says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I urge you, brothers if brothers and sisters, if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus as your personal Savior, I request you to re- just reach out to one of us and we will share more. And we hope that you will come to know about this Lord Jesus who we all know and love so dearly. And we know that we have eternity with him because we have our faith rested upon him. So we ended on verse 10, which speaks about that one sinner who repents. And you know that there is joy in heaven. There's joy in the presence of angels. And when we look at it in the next, next, uh, you know, we, we look at what is, we, we already saw what is repentance, right? But what does true repentance mean? What is the result of true repentance? True repentance brings joy to the one who receives Christ and salvation. Absolutely, right? It will be a joyous occasion for the person who has received Christ. It's also joy for individuals in the church who will experience that. And above everything else, it is rejoicing in heaven. Rejoicing, the angels are rejoicing and it also rejoices the heart of God. So believers, what about you, right? Do we also repent? Do we have genuine repentance for the sin in our lives? For the sins of commission? For the sins of omission? Are we repenting because God is looking for our repentance too? And I hope that we understand that repentance is of utmost importance to our triune God. Okay, again, let's move to the next part. And here or here too, there is no pause. There is no break and our Lord Jesus Christ wants to drive home the point. And because he wants to drive home the point, he immediately in verse 11 says, then he said. And you know, before we, before we go there to this parable, you know, this parable is one of the most famous parables, isn't it? We've all heard it in a Sunday school, right? We've all heard it even outside of Sunday school probably. It's the longest parable and most detailed it has three main characters, many supporting actors. It transcends time. It goes to different geographies and then comes back. So it's it's a it's a small, you know, could be made into a movie by itself. Maybe it already has been made to multiple short films, right? And here, in Jewish culture, the eldest son gets. Let's assume there are two two sons. The eldest son gets two thirds portion. And the younger son will get one-third portion. And that portion is not handed over when they are 22 or 21. It is done when the father passes away. Until then, the father is in charge and you are just supporting the farm or supporting whatever you need to do. right? That's the situation here. And here we have this father who has, a certain father who has two sons. Verse 12. 
Then the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods. Very demanding, very authoritative. That falls to me. That's incorrect. It doesn't fall to you yet because I'm still alive. So that's an incorrect statement. And he wants goods. So goods, the Greek of that is oisias. Right? The reason I say this is because the father doesn't call it that. He father calls it something else when we go to that. As a Jewish father, put yourself in, as a Jewish father in those times. Your younger son comes and says, you're well and alive. Culture is, I pass away, then you get the, get the inheritance. Your son comes and asks you, give me the goods. We all know how the younger son should have been thrashed. <laughs> should have. Right? But the next verse baffles me, right? I mean, the next part of verse 12 says, So he, the father, divided them his livelihood. Now you see, the word here is different. It's completely different. It's livelihood. Livelihood is bios, which is life itself. Life itself. This was his life's earnings. The father's struggle over the many, many years. And he had gathered all this together for his children indeed, but this was not the time to give it to them. And you know, he was asking for his livelihood to be cut up. You know, So when one third goes away, that's one third of the farm or whatever going away and that much produce is not going to come over the next few years. So it's not easy right, to do, but he still does it. The father still does it. And in verse 13 says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a faraway country and there wasted his possessions. With prodigal living. Wasteful living. We'll just look at prodigal living for a moment and then come back to a few points. You know, he's taken his father's livelihood and gone. Right? He's he's going to a faraway country, wants the liberty to live the life the way he wants. And just like in today's world, he wants to be rebellious. He's narcissistical. It's my way, my life. I do it the way I want. I will live the way I want. And, you know, the father just lets him do it. You know, in Romans 1, it talks about how God gave them away to their depraved minds, right? God gave them away, right? Because this is his fault. It's his doing, right? And, you know, living in sin is pleasurable. But there are consequences. There are always severe consequences to living in sin. So here, again, it's quite simple. The father represents God the father. Right? And the second son represents the sinners, the tax collectors, you know, who will go on to repent. And the first son, you know, we all think he's very loyal, right? The first son is comes across as the Pharisees. And you know what surprised me also is where was the first son in all this when this was happening? He never came to his father's aid. He never came and told the younger son what you're doing doing is wrong. He never came to defend the father. He was happy that this guy is going to take one third and go. Everything post that is mine. He cannot come back and ask for anything else. That's all he could think of possibly. Right? And you know this word far country. You know every word I, in, in a parable means a lot. And 
far country you know why did he have to go to far country he could have just gone to the town close by okay the village is here go to the town close by and live your life the way you want to because your friends will be in the area he went far far away because he did not want anyone to come to him and question him he did not want anyone to question his living he wanted to be in the darkness he enjoyed it he knew that nobody could question him nobody could help him or bring him back and that's like us right we think that when we are far away we can do what we want and no one is watching and i think we all know that god is watching we want to wallow in our sin and we don't want help we all have those phases and i hope that we don't go there because sin has severe consequences and that is what we will see in a few verses to go in verse 14 then he had spent it all all gone all done and there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in severe want you know nlt says he was starving he began to starve it was desperate times and you know in those days famine is not something is not a joke right it used to be really morbid scenes people would even end up going towards cannibalism and uh, various things would happen so dire times would cause really severe situations and you know this situation which he is in where he squandered everything and he is now starving who brought it on on him he himself brought it upon himself right it's not the father who let him do it it's not the world who made him do it but it is himself it was his choices to be in this sinful living and you know this great famine was sent by god to to help and ensure that he struggles even more and so that we get the point and it's a parable right but so that we get the point right and this great death was over him and he was starving to death unable to fend for himself you know when we see this it just reminds us of our, about our state right on how desperate we were you know in our sinful state without anyone to rescue us and a typical sinner not turning to god first he turns to plan b and his plan b was he went was 15 and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country so when it says joined himself to a citizen it means someone who is privileged someone who has a status right not everyone was a citizen and this person became his master because we see that he says go to the fields and feed the swine and he's a jewish boy right pigs were filth right and he has to feed the pigs not only feed the pigs he then felt that the pigs had more to eat than himself a really dire state right in verse 16 and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods so these are carpod pods which were already cr- crushed the molasses so everything has already taken out it's just like husk and you know he's not eat not eating it out of arrogance you cannot eat it the human body cannot digest it because it's taken off all its nutrients it's just like husk right it's just it's you know what pigs eat right they eat garbage and this is something which he could not have eaten and this paints a picture of how lost he was and how how low he is and you know he was 
a slave to sin. And that is what brought this about. In John 8, 34, it says, Jesus replied, Very, verily, 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 I tell to you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. No, slavery is horrible and I hope none of us have sin as our master. I hope we don't have one or two sins which are overpowering us and controlling us. And I hope we can fight it by going to the Lord. You know, finally the prodigal son understands that he needs to be saved from this sinful living. And finally he knows that the consequence of sin is death and the only way out is to go to his father. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, when he came to himself. So brothers, this is the point I want to ask, sisters, I want to ask you. If there's a sin which is overpowering you, I hope you will come to yourself, come to that realization that there is something which is controlling your life which is not right and that you will get help. You will come to our Lord Jesus Christ and ask for help and ask to be relieved of that sin which is being your master. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish in hunger? I perish in hunger or rather I perish in sin. You know, finally he is coming to the point of true repentance. The, this son is finally realizing that the sin has control over his life and that he has sinned against heaven and against God himself. He has hit rock bottom and self-realization has set in. In verse 18, this is his plan. This is finally the right plan. And he's not executing it right. He's just playing it out in his mind in verse 18 and 19. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. You know, there is sorrow, there is confession and there is turning to God and turning to his father here. Now, all the right aspects are here of repentance. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And you know, he's playing this in his mind and he's ready and he goes immediately. Verse 20, no delay. And he arose and came to his father. And you know, when he's walking and he sees the, fa the father's house in the distance, the father sees him, the father doesn't sit there and say, let him come. I will take care of him. father doesn't wait to rebuke him or to put him down but he runs to him verse 20 continues to say but when he was still a great way off his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him you know the father is looking all the way our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, Heavenly Father is looking at each one of us and wants us to come back to Him. He is ready to receive us. No matter how sinful we are, no matter how down we are in our sinful estate, He is ready to receive us with arms wide open and forgiving us. And you know, just like, just as we will see, we will see how the Father will receive us. And you know, in verse 21, it says, And the Son said to Him, Now, when you see 21, just keep in mind what is in 19. Remember, 19 was the rehearsal. 21 is actually what he is saying to the father. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven 
and in your sight and no longer worthy to be called your son he did not finish the word son and the father interrupts him do you see one line which is not there in the rehearsal make me like one of your yeah it's so beautiful that the father immediately cuts him off and he says but the father said to the his servants bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and the sandals on his feet the robe the ring and the sandals would that be for a servant no which is the best robe in the house whose robe would be the best robe the father's robe it has to be the father's robe the father's robe was given to the son who was filthy he came back if you see that image there he this is by rembrandt it's a it's a painting by rembrandt he is filthy chappal torn everything is torn his his condition is in in a really bad state but he is in the bosom of his father would we put anything on that you would first tell him to put have a bath maybe right but he was accepted as he was and the father's robe was put on him and this is just like us you know when we come to our lord jesus christ as we are we have the robe of his righteousness which covers each one of us no matter how sinful we are it is his righteousness which covers each one of us the ring which was put on his hand to signify it's that he is the son it's like a signet ring right obviously not given to servants and even slaves and servants don't have sandals but sandals is given to signify not a servant but a son accepted and in verse 23 bring the fatted calf and kill it let us eat and be merry and you know this eat and be merry there is no end there nowhere does it say when the celebration stopped it is literally like endless celebration what love this father has shown him and you know john 3 1 john 3 1 says what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of god or the sons of god we are sons and daughters of this holy god we are adopted into his family we are accepted into the beloved isn't it isn't that so praiseworthy to know that we are sons and daughters of the most high god and you know our father's love covers a multitude of sins you know no matter how dirty we feel inside no matter how bad we think we are god will still accept us god will still forgive us and i pray that we understand this as we go forward and you know in verse 24 it goes on to say for my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and he is found again reminder of our condition so what do we see here from this one parable complete acceptance romans 5:8 says while we were still sinners christ died for the ungodly right while we were still sinners complete freedom in john 8:36 says if the son sets you free you are free indeed you are free indeed you can truly be free from the clasp of sin but do you allow yourself to have jesus as the master of your life 
complete forgiveness. 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There is no asterisk there. There is no disclaimer. These five sins will not be forgiven. All unrighteousness will be forgiven. Complete adoption. You know, some of you may question, what is complete? Is there any incomplete adoption? But just to be sure, the adoption is full and true. He loves us just as his own. He accepts us into the beloved and we have an inheritance which is secure in him for eternity. And that can be only because we are his sons and daughters. Truly his sons and daughters. And you know, we most, most of the time... <coughs> The uh, Sunday school lesson ends here, right? But there is another section which we will close in just five minutes very quickly, which is verse 26 on 25 onwards, right? And this is this is the the elder son, and the elder son is 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 quite the character, and you know some people mistake him from being loyal, but you know the elder son hears all the ruckus and comes running. So 25, 26, 27 is all about him coming to the party and he does not enter the house. He's outside and he's like, what is happening? And he's huffing and puffing and someone tells him your younger brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf and there's a party going on. Come inside. Doesn't come inside. And then the father comes out and pleads with him. The father is pleading with the elder son which again requires and he doesn't want to come in. He is disrespecting the father and he doesn't want to come in. And it's it's incorrectly said that this is the loyal son who stayed back and was was with him. And what does he say? He says, for many years I have served you. Many years I have served you. No, he doesn't call him his father. He doesn't uh, give him the respect due. And he's only talking about his self-accolades, right? I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Uh, you're doing it right now. I asked you to come in respectfully and not coming in, right? <clears throat> you never gave me a young goat for a feast. I'm sure being a Jewish man, he has had enough of goats in his life because they love their meat. And then in verse 30, it says, but this your son, and pointing to the sin of his brother, I literally say, he doesn't even call him his brother, you know, to say, this your son, very disrespectful and dishonoring the father, right? Equally sinful, right? Maybe, maybe of the younger son and the elder son, but still equally sinful, disrespecting and dishonoring the father. And you know, nowhere here does he repent. He stands by what he says. Arrogantly stands by what he says. And he continues to just stand there. I don't know if he went in and uh, in verse 32, the father reiterates and says, your father who was dead is alive and was lost and is found. And in verse 31 it says, son, you are always with me and all I have is yours. You know, all that was there was for the elder son because the younger son has taken his inheritance. You know, the, 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 the elder son, who does it remind you of? The Pharisees and the scribes, right? So self-righteous, so adamant, so arrogant. And they think they knew, knew it all. You know, they think that they were 
closer to god you know the self righteous what do they believe in they believe that they are more pure they're they're more holy in their lifestyle following man made rules that they are without sin or less sinful than those around than those who are in the church and that they are more knowledgeable in the word and you know when when if any one of us has this mindset you know we may not even show it out right but internally if we have this mindset what is going to happen what is going to result in it's going to result in bitterness for those who are struggling in their sin it will result in bitterness for those struggling in their sin we will not be completely forgiving of those who are repeating in their sin who are struggling in their sin we also could come across as condescending of those who don't have certain amount of bible knowledge that we hold a standard to maybe you know and when somebody sees this kind of arrogance or self righteousness do you think they will continue to be in fellowship with us would they continue or would they go away so i pray that you know we will have a welcoming heart to everyone who comes into this church and no one will be turned away because you know if that person is turned away he may never ever enter another church again no i know a testimony of one brother who was turned away from one church and by god's grace he came to our church and he felt more welcome here so i pray that no one is turned away from cbf and we pray that they will all feel welcome you know when jesus uh, pursued sinners he was not okay with their sin right we'll, i i want i want to understand that he cared for the lifestyle he he cared for the person and not for the lifestyle or the sin they were in right he never went soft on sin but he was able to able to show love in spite of the sin that was there in their lives and he was a friend of sinners he did not make them feel comfortable in their sin ever but he still welcomed them he still opened arms welcomed them and i hope that this is what we can do right and so when we are pursuing the lost you know what what do we what do we what can we see in the examples we say you know the father ran to the son the shepherd was went looking for that one sheep the lady went searching for that coin and the angels in heaven are celebrating true repentance or do we have a testimony to receive the lost that is what i want to ask and leave with you you know when we go back to to that to the to that to that last uh, verse which is luke uh, 15 verse 1 if you just you know in luke 15 verse 1 what we called out earlier was how the pharisees and, and scribes condemned him right but what can we learn from that you know just four phrases there which I, which i have underlined there can we you know who we hate the most or who the persons who jesus needs the most can we rebuild friendship with the lost can we rebuild friendship with the lost i'm sure we 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 have a lot of friends in church we have a lot of friends who are believers but what percentage of friends are outsiders who are non believers can we introspect and see how many friends we have who are real friends or who we maintain a relationship who are non believers or do we prefer to have believers as friends safer easier more comfortable but that's not the heart of jesus right can we draw close to them and hear them out 
can we draw close to sinners and hear them out because you know in today's day and age people are lost people are desperate for someone who'll really show concern for them who'll really want to hear them and maybe if you spend time enough with time with them and hear them you'll get a chance to be heard and you can share from your life to them you can't expect to go into someone's life and start preaching the gospel immediately we need to have a relationship with them we need to understand them better as well would we receive such folks and eat with them or go out with them you know that's what what I, what i want to leave with you today and you know um one of the um writers or the commentators says for this parable this entire 1 to 32 in 15 says it's a defense of association with sinners defense of association with sinners that is what this parable is so if anyone questions you why you are having friendship with non believers lead them to this parable make friends with non believers listen to them hear them out and you will get your chance to share the gospel you know we are in multiple groups i don't know sports groups office groups college groups whatever groups right a lot of non believers there are we genuinely reaching out to them and that is a challenge which the lord has laid before us this morning shall we look to the lord in prayer <clears throat> lord heavenly father we thank you lord for being with us and allowing us a lot to worship you and exhort you and understand who you are we pray a lot as we look to you a lot and this week ahead pray a lot that we will be able to understand a lot you're a god who accepts the sinners the worst of sinners the wild sinners who no one will even go near lord but we pray a lot that we will understand lord that you do that out of love lord so that you can receive them into the fold and we pray a lot that just as the shepherd went looking for that lost sheep pray a lot that we too look for those who are lost those who are struggling and we can extend our hand of compassion and love as you have and that we can share the love of jesus christ to them pray lord that we can share true repentance to those who are lost and pray lord that many will come to know of your saving grace lord and pray lord that you will equip us to do this pray lord that you will not allow us lord to have a self righteous attitude like the pharisees and scribes but we will have a genuine love lord as you showed love on that cross that we will be sacrificial in showing our love to those who are around us lord we thank you lord for this time we ask all of the sin in through name for lord and savior jesus christ